Okay, are we good to go? All right, check, 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 check. Mr. Teague, how are you? Doing okay today? Yeah? Perfect. You're perfect. Is that right? Today right now is perfect? The weather is perfect? Hey, how do you, Martinez, how do you feel about, like, Jan, Karen, no, Jess? It's a hard time. It's a hard time, isn't it? Like, I, I miss her, like, when I'm coming to the church, because I'm thinking, like, oh, she's not going to be here. Uh, oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, well. How are we doing? Good? Great.
Good morning. I'm Olamide Atelade. I'm here to bring this morning communion reading. Evanston Vineyard. Happy 2024. Happy New Year. Uh, whether you're joining us here in the auditorium or online, we welcome you. Um, we invite you to stand as we sing some songs of worship to our God. I'm going to pray for us. God, you are good. Thank you so much for this invitation to know you deeper, to release our cares to you to experience your love. Would you help our hearts to be open to you, to your work, and to what you have for us today? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
My victory, my victory. 
Good morning, church, and happy new year to everyone. I'm Olamide Atilade. I am here this morning to bring the communion reading. We are reading from 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 3 to 5. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us a new birth because of his great mercy. We have been born into a new life that has confidence which is alive because Jesus Christ has come back to life. We have been born into a new life which has an inheritance that cannot be destroyed or corrupted and cannot fade away. That inheritance is kept in heaven for you since you are guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the end of time. Communion reminds us that Jesus', Jesus sacrificial death made it possible for us to be born again into a new life that will last forever. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you willingly sacrificial death made that your willingly willing sacrificial death made it possible for us to be born again into a life that can never be destroyed or taken away. Amen. We take communion today in remembrance of Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection, his sacrifices and his victory. We take communion today in remembrance of Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection, his sacrifices and his victory. Now, I would like to invite our communion servers to take their places. On the night that he, and that he was handed over to suffer, suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. When he had given thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, do this in the remembrance of me. During the final song, Please feel free to come up and receive the element. At each station, you may take communion either by intention, which is dipping the bread in the juice, or through the prepackaged packet. Gluten-free wafers are also available at each station. Please feel free to take the element whenever and wherever you like. This is an open table. All who have given their lives to follow him are welcome to join us. Spirit, you meet me there. 
ready, feel free to stand. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much for singing with us, for worshiping with us today. Would you greet your neighbor as you find your seat? Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Happy New Year. Can you believe it's January 2024? <laughs> My name is Brian Van Werf. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We are so glad you've joined us for worship this morning, both here in our auditorium as well as those who are watching our live stream from home. We're just really glad you've joined us. As a continuation of our worship this morning, we're going to take this time to give our gifts to God. Um, as we do that, we are going to pray together a prayer of generosity, a liturgy of generosity. You know, the Bible tells us that one of the ways we express our trust in God is by giving sacrificially uh, for his incredible generosity toward us. So we're going to pray this together. You'll see the words on your screen. I'll pray the first lines, and we can respond together with the words in bold. So let's make this our prayer. Holy Father... There is nothing we have that you have not given us. As you have freely given, we give back to you. All that we have and are belong to you, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. This offering is our worship. Generous God, you give the spirit without limit. Give us your spirit to be generous like you. Amen. And as we say around here often, all the ways that we are able to bring the good news of God's love and his hope to our community is because of your generosity. So we really thank you for all the ways that you give. We're going to go ahead and take a moment now to give our offering to God. If you are here in the auditorium, there will be some uh, offering ushers that will pass the baskets down the aisles. Um, there are also uh, giving instructions on the screen if you want to give digitally. And if you're watching the live stream from home, you will see a button pop up in your feed where you can give. So let's go ahead and take a moment to do that now. Thank you so much for giving. 
We want to extend a special welcome to all of those who are visiting for the first time today, um, either here in the auditorium or watching our live stream from home. We want to say welcome. Uh, thanks for taking a chance on us. And if you are here on site today, we would love to meet you in person. So if you have just a few brief moments right after the service finishes, uh, we are going to have some newcomer gatherings uh, right in our small auditorium. It's just out into the main lobby in the north part of our main lobby. There's a small auditorium, and we would love to meet you uh, just to get to know you and say hello. And if you've been around here for a while, if this is not your first Sunday, but you haven't had a chance yet to stop by one of our newcomer gatherings, um, you are welcome to come. We would love to just say hi, and you get the chance to uh, meet the pastors and grab a donut and just hang out. If you have kids, feel free to bring them along as well, and we have some special gifts for you just to say uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I have a, just a couple things I want to bring to your attention this morning. Uh, first of all, we have a special baptism Sunday coming up on Sunday, January 28th. And our next set of baptism classes to prepare for that will be coming up the next couple Sundays, starting next Sunday, January 14th, right after the second service. Um, so if you have recently given your life to Jesus and you are interested in being baptized as a public profession of your faith, then you're invited to attend this class. Uh, you can sign up on the events page of our website, or you can go to our Evanston Vineyard app uh, to do that. Also, we have to offer an opportunity for those who may have already been baptized, but they are wanting to rededicate their life to Jesus, and this is a great opportunity to do that as well. Um, so we encourage you to sign it up on the website. Uh, the class will be next Sunday, January 14, and they'll be in the office conference room uh, just outside our main lobby there. So we hope to see you. Lastly, uh, we are excited to share that January is a special month around here at Evanston Vineyard because all month we will be promoting our special spring small groups that are going to kick off in February and they will be running through the month of April. We have a really high value on small group community here. We really believe that one of the best ways that we can grow in our relationship with God is by being involved in a small group. And so there are a wide variety of groups that we're offering this spring uh, for all ages and stages of life. Um, we're also gonna be promoting some new alpha groups that we're excited about that are gonna be launching this spring. And if you're asking, what is Alpha? Uh, I want to direct your attention to the screens around the auditorium. We share things every day, things that are meaningful to us, that entertain, inspire, or challenge us. We share moments, good or bad, big or small, because what we share matters. We have the chance to share something incredible, the hope that has transformed our lives. And today, more than ever, people are searching for hope, for connection, for meaning. The life we've experienced in Jesus is available to our friends and neighbors, and it's easier to share than we might think. Over the next few weeks, we are running Alpha, an opportunity to share Jesus with friends, family, and colleagues in person or online. Each week, we'll connect with each other, watch a short video, and have time to discuss our thoughts and questions without needing to have all the answers. All it takes is a simple invitation. Share life, faith, hope, Jesus. Who will you invite? 
You know, people all around us are really searching for hope and they're hoping for meaning. They're, they're looking for meaning. And we believe that Jesus offers this hope to anyone who is interested. So alpha groups are really an ideal place for you or if for uh, some reason there's somebody you know who might be curious about faith and wants to engage in safe conversations in a free environment uh, in an open and friendly environment, then Alpha is a great place to do that. Everyone is welcome, so you are invited, no matter what your background or your beliefs. If Alpha sounds like it might be a good fit for you or somebody you know, uh, we want to encourage you, check out the groups that we're offering this spring on our website. Um, you can also go to our small group wall on the south end of the main lobby today after the service, and there'll be somebody that would be happy to speak with you. We also have spread all over the auditorium as well as on our welcome center these nifty little uh, invitation cards. So if you're like, there's somebody at my workplace or my school or uh, around my neighborhood. I'd love to just give them an invitation. These are ready to go. They have our QR code on there and an easy place to access more info about our Alpha groups. So feel free to grab some of those on your way out today and uh, check out Alpha. Thank you, everyone, for your attention today. Uh, I'd like to invite up uh, Tim, excuse me, Ted, <laughs> Kim, if I can get that right, who will be bringing our morning message. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I can't can't tell you how many times someone has called me Tim, but definitely not any of the pastors. So, <laughs> Tim, Mr. Tim Kim. Many, many people have called me Tim in my day. Um, I don't even know where to go from this, actually. Uh, hmm. Anyway, actually, uh, here, let's do this. Um, I want to make one more announcement. Uh, and that is that over the next few weeks, uh, we are going to have a class, a special class on healing. So now we believe in the dynamic work of the Spirit, and we are what um, theologians might call continuationists. We believe that what happened in the Scriptures can actually happen today. We believe, in fact, that anytime a person gets healed or a person receives a prophetic word or a person is delivered from a demon, we believe that those things are signs of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And so radically committed to praying for healing. I prayed for so many different people for healing in my life. Um, some people I have seen dramatic healings after I prayed for them, and many people I haven't. And I have questions. Why do some people get healed and why don't some people, other people get healed? And, and this class will answer a lot of those questions, and we'll get to pray for people. And so I want to invite you to um, that class. So with our founding pastor, Seed Mickelson, it begins this coming Wednesday. And if you're sick and you want some healing and you want some prayer, then come on. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. If you know someone that's sick and would like some prayer, come on, and, uh, and we would love to pray for you. Um, we do take, like, an integrative approach to healing. Um, we believe that healing can break in at any moment. We believe that the future of the kingdom of God is that there is no sickness. We also really like our doctors. So, uh, and I don't know, that's all I just want to say. We love you doctors. If you're a doctor in the room, we love you. Um, we believe in what you do. We believe that it's important and actually sacred. And so, and that leads me to our new series. So we're starting a new series today called In the Beginning. Uh, now, some of you might have lo may love these movies. I know I kind of have maybe mixed feelings about them, but how many of you are like sick of superhero movies? How many of you? You're just like, okay, we have to be done. How many of you would be like, man, I want superhero movies for the rest of my life? Anyone? Yeah, some of you love them. Okay, wow, Kathy, I didn't realize 
Okay, you're, she loves superhero movies. Um, well, I like superhero movies, especially when they include, include the origin story, when, when the superhero actually gets their powers. You know what I'm talking about? I love those stories. Um, I'm fascinated always to, to, to see kind of like a, how a superhero got their, their superpowers because the interesting thing about superheroes is that they cannot be understood without knowing where they come from, right? So Superman came, his home planet was destroyed, so his fundamental desire is to belong. And so that's why he must keep his extraordinary power secret, which is why he wears glasses and hopes that everyone won't know that it's actually Superman, you know? Um, or Miles Morales. How many of you like the Spider-Verse movies? They're the finest superhero movies, I think, right now. But what's interesting about Miles Morales is that he is tormented by an essential uh, question of his essential goodness. I mean, this is sort of like the conflict, the main conflict that runs through his movies. And then, of course, like one of my... A uh, favorite author is a science fiction author named M.K. Jemison, and she uh, was commissioned by DC Comics to actually write like a non-white superhero. So she writes Green Lantern, and this Green Lantern, uh, her name is Sojourner, was a police officer and soldier who um, experienced firsthand that neither role gave her the ability to do anything other than enforce inequality and violence. And of course, she becomes a Green Lantern, and and, and her past experience informs the way that she discharges her responsibilities. So why do I mention that? I mention that not because I like superheroes, but I mention that because we have an origin story. If we are people who believe in Jesus, we actually have a story about where we came from. And what I want to say to us this morning and for the rest of this series, if we don't really understand our origin... Where did humanity, uh, how is humanity actually birthed into the world? Then we don't really know how or what we are for. We don't know how or what we are for. We might not even know our purpose unless we know where we've come from. And you know I'm talking about Genesis. So we are going to look over the next few months at the book of Genesis, examine the story of Genesis examine our origin story, the story that we believe holds the key to all human flourishing, to flourishing for all of God's good creation. And now, part of the reason why we want to look at Genesis also is because uh, we have a mission statement as a church. What's our mission statement, anyone? You see it when you walk in through the lobby. It's joining Jesus in the, everyone, restoration of all things. And so what does it mean to restore something? It means to bring something back to its original state. Restore presumes that we return something to its original state. In this case, um, our original state would be Eden. So uh, sometimes you'll hear me refer throughout these messages as um, restoring. Sometimes you'll hear me, re hear me substituting re-edening for restoring, okay? And that's what I mean when I say re-edening. So we're going to look at Genesis. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. So we're going to skip Genesis 1. Um, I preached a message on Genesis 1 in 2021 that's available on our website. Um, it's in our podcast feed. If you want to listen to our convictions about how the world was made, I just invite you to listen to that. But I want to Start with Genesis 2, because Genesis 2 tells us about the world before the curse. Now, what was the world like before sin enters into the universe? Uh, it's 
this chapter, Genesis 2, is maybe one of the most important texts in the entire scriptures, and so I want to spend some time looking at it. So if you've got your Bible, you can look with me at Genesis 2. We're going to start from verse 2, and let me read for us. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. Verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, and there it, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as you can imagine, we could spend, we could spend a whole lot of time in Genesis 2. Uh, there is so much to actually talk about, but I only want to talk about three things. Three things that were were a feature or a characteristic of the world before the curse. Uh, and I also want to talk about how each of these three things, like they offer an invitation for us to re-Eden our world. Okay, so three things. We're going to look at three things about the uncursed world. Three things. The first thing we're going to look at is work. 
The second thing we're going to look at is constraint. And the third thing that we're going to look at is community. So work, constraint, community. Notice how this chapter begins. God is resting from his labor, the labor of bringing order to chaos. Of crea- He's creating the world, right? So recall Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here the deep sea is the chaos of the world being born. And so then you read in Genesis 1. It's beautiful. You should read it if you have the time. Now each day then becomes like this panoply of separation and order. God fills the earth with beauty. And then after six days, rest. And here's the thing about rest and work. God does them. They're divine activities. Uh, Notice that the work and the rest are divine. God does work and he does rest. And so for us to be made in God's image, guess what? We work and we rest too. Now, if you look at Genesis 2, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. If you look at that verse, you can see that there were no gardeners and because there were no gardeners, there was no one to work the ground. No plants and shrubs had sprung up. Gardeners were absolutely crucial to the flourishing of Eden. And that's where humanity comes in. The Lord God took the man. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So we work and we take care of Eden. And so like God, in our own way, we bring order to chaos for the benefit of all of creation. And here's what I just want to say this morning. Work is good. Work is good. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, work is good. No matter if you hate your jobs or not. The thing about jobs is that, that, that our work is, it's, it's meant for our good. It's meant for the good of all. Without our labor, the world around us doesn't flourish. I mean, this is part of what Genesis 2 is saying. And notice, by the way, that this is gardening. So it's what we might call like menial labor uh, in our culture, the kind of labor that lacks honor and prestige. But part of what Genesis 2 is telling us is that there's no such thing as menial labor. Blue collar, white collar, it's all important. Because all work can be done in imitation of God, no matter what it might be. I mean, all work can bring the good order of the kingdom to bear on the world. Whether you are a barista, whether you're a retail worker, a janitor, or a banker, whether you work with your hands or you crunch numbers with your brain, your work carries with it the possibility of the kingdom. Your work is valuable because it's an imitation of God. Whatever you do, your work can be valuable because it can bring with it the possibility of the kingdom. Don't let the market determine how you see your work. Our work is valuable because it's part of how we reflect God's image, which is why uh, in her excellent essay, Why Work, uh, this British author, Dorothy Sayers, does anyone know who Dorothy Sayers is? Some of us know because we, Lord Peter Whimsey in her detective novels, does anyone Detective, some of us, okay, Matt just keeps raising his hand. <laughs> some of us know who Dorothy Sayers is. Well, as it turns out, uh, Dorothy Sayers was actually like a, a very insightful Christian person. She wrote a bunch of essays. And so she tells us 
that we must serve the work. And what she means by that is that we work not to get a wage. We work to serve our purpose as image bearers of God in the world. We work unto God. Work is worship, which is why Jamaican scholar Richard Milton puts it this way. The human creature is made to worship God by using our God-given power to transform our earthly environment into a complex world that glorifies our Creator. And this tells us something else really important. Uh, some of us believe that some work is more sacred than other work, right? Some of us think that uh, our worldly or secular work is less important than work that's religious or like ministerial, like what I'm doing right now, I'm preaching right now. And so some of you may actually believe that what I'm doing is more important than what you might do, say, from Monday through Friday. And you might think maybe it's more important to pray and read your Bible than it is to work at your jobs. But Genesis 2 tells us it's not true. All work is sacred. Dorothy Sayers, again, Christian people, and particularly, perhaps, the Christian clergy, in other words, pastors like me, uh, must get it firmly into their heads that when a man or woman is called to a particular job of secular work or worldly work, that is as true a vocation as though he or she were called to specifically religious work. So would you turn to your neighbor and say, your work is important. Turn to your neighbor and say, your work is important. So here's the invitation. This is how we can re-eat in our world. Uh, the next time you're sitting in your office or you're cleaning toilets, in the drudgery of the day, might you remember Genesis 2. Might you remember that work is part of the uncursed world. Because if you bring your, to your work the ethos of Christ, if you bring to your work the kindness of God, and you bring to your work the compassion he has for every single human being, if you work, as the Apostle Paul tells us, as if you were serving the Lord, not people. By the way, he's talking to slaves when he's talking to them. Knowing that there is a reward from your, for your labor from God, you are re-evening, restoring our chaotic world. Let me say that again. If you work with the ethos of Christ, if you bring the compassion of God to whatever you do, whatever work you do, you are, you are standing in line with our mission to restore, to, to join Jesus in the restoration of all things. What you're doing is you're re-edening a chaotic world. You are bringing the beauty of the kingdom to your workplace. Your work is important. I'm so glad that this room is not full of pastors. I'm really, really glad for lots of different kinds of reasons, but I'm really glad. I'm really glad because your work is really, really important. And so the burden, the invitation for you is to remember that your work is important. And the burden also, the invitation to you is to remember that what you do in your workplace actually can bring a foretaste of the kingdom of God to people around you. They can see Jesus in the work and the way that you do it. And here's the other thing. 
I think that part of what Genesis 2 tells us is that we have a social justice responsibility to fight for fair conditions for work. Uh, Here is Dorothy Sayers again. I'm going to quote a lot from her. The church must concern herself with seeing that work itself is such as a human being can perform without degradation, that no one is required by economic or any other considerations to devote himself to work that is contemptible, soul-destroying, or harmful. No one is required by economic or any other considerations to devote himself to work that is contemptible, soul-destroying, or harmful. What a tragedy slavery is. What a perversion of the story of God. I mean, like to make people subhuman by what they do, their work is the grossest perversion of the story of God. How many of you know, though, that the slave trade still exists today? It still exists today. So one of the things that we can do to re-eat in our world is maybe just this small, simple thing. And what if we resolutely committed to start buying goods that are made through fair trade? Or, or to buy used clothing. I mean, could, could we commit to maybe starting to do that? Some goods that are made in places that promote worker well-being. You know, like we have these sweatshirts and these shirts. How many of you have a sweatshirt or a shirt from EV? Yeah, some of you are wearing them. I love this sweatshirt. It's so cozy and comfortable and soft. And, and the other thing that I love about it is that uh, it pro- provokes questions. Like, where, where's that sweatshirt from? I like that sweatshirt. Uh, and it, it shows that I'm part of something bigger. Um, but the other reason why we like these sweatshirts and these T-shirts is because we support a supplier who's committed to fair business practice. That's why we do it. We don't make any money from our sweatshirts and our T-shirts. We sell them at what we buy them for. But we buy them from a place that, buys, that, that makes these things uh, in a humane way. That's why it's really important to us. Could we work? in a way that seeks the good of all creation? Could we work in a way that seeks the welfare of every worker at every level of the supply chain? Could we care for people over profit margins? Um, If we work the ground, uh, could we care for the soil rather than choking the life out of it to produce as much food as possible. I mean, I see this in our building manager, Terry, and I see this in Farmer Matt sitting over here with our garden. I mean, these are ways that we are re-eating the world. We're taking our grounds, we're making them beautiful, but we're also making them productive and fruitful and not in a way uh, that punishes the land, but rather causes the land to flourish, right? So that's work. Work is important. Work is good. Here's the second thing, constraint. Have you ever noticed that in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve weren't free to do whatever they wanted to? Anyone ever noticed that? So there was not unfettered license. They could not eat freely from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We know that, yes? So here's what the Lord commands Adam. He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit next week, but here's what I want to say about constraint or restriction. If you want to flourish, you have to have some kind of constraint. 
Like constraint is not something that exists because we're sinful and our sinful desires must be checked. I mean, though constraint can help us in that way. Constraint was in the garden before sin entered the universe. So in order for us to flourish, we must be constrained in some way, which which flies against the very fabric of our modern social and modern uh, and, and, and moral imagination. So we believe that freedom is about doing whatever we want, when we want to do it, free from any external influence. You've heard about this before, yes? That's what we think freedom is. Uh, that's what the world would teach us that freedom is. And we talked a few weeks ago about how that kind of self-determining freedom, it doesn't work because all the data shows that people are getting less happy rather than more joyful. Genesis 2 wants to tell us, well, duh, it's because there's no constraint. Constraint is actually good. We need to be limited and restricted. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I mean, like, how many of you know that if a parent gives complete freedom to their child, it's actually destructive for them? We all know that, yes? Some of us know that. Some of us figure that out the hard way. Uh, we know that when we tell our children, you can do whatever you want, unlimited permission, we know that in the end that becomes destructive for the child. I mean, if you're married, you know that there's constraint. Like, fidelity is actually a constraint. It's a good practice to build up a thriving marriage. You know also that... Uh, you have constraint when you have close friends. You willingly consent to a kind of loyalty and service when you have like a best friend, when you have really close friends. Or even go farther afield and take art. How many of you know that constraint w produces great art? Does everyone know that? Like uh, artists choose to restrict or limit themselves because they know that that usually results in an explosion of creativity. Uh, many of us know that painters are constrained to a canvas. Many know that painters like constrain themselves to just like one medium. Uh, there's not absolute freedom. You know, I used to, I used to write songs a lot. Uh, I used to write these worship songs, some that have been published, and we would always do these, these songwriting courts in the summer. We would write songs for our church. I mean, I used to be a worship pastor, and one trick that I would always use is constraint. I always go like, okay, for this week, uh, you have to write uh, this particular subject or have this particular tempo or have this particular kind of feel. And one week, I might assign lament. Uh, or another week, I'd say, hey, we need to write some up-tempo songs. Or another week, I would say like, hey, uh, this, this song needs to have this particular kind of feel. And I would always be amazed that constraint would produce great songs because that's how constraint works. It's actually good for us to be restricted. You know, like the, the Desert Fathers understood regular spiritual practice as a kind of constraint. I mean, they understood that like flourishing was bounded by limits. What if one way that you and I could restore the world, re-eden the world, is practice constraint? What if we could maybe practice the constraint of silence? so that we could learn to be more present to those around us. Anyone ever like had a conversation with someone who's just waiting for you to stop so they could say their thing? Anyone? Some of us have. Some of us are like, I've never had that experience before. Well, that's because you're probably waiting to talk. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. Anyway, like here's what I mean, here's what I want to say though. What I want to say is that like the constraint of science actually helps community helps you to listen. Here's another constraint. What about the constraint 
of fasting. Maybe you could not eat to unmask unruly passions inside of you. Or maybe you could submit to the constraint of simplicity so that in the end the slave trade could breathe its last. According to one desert father, John Cassian, willing submission is to this kind of constraint. What does it do? It produces actually purity of heart, single-mindedness. And my friend Jared Boyd likes to say that that kind of single-mindedness that comes from constraint is actually union. So when you have constraint, you can experience the love and share in the love of God in a way that you wouldn't if you didn't have any kind of constraint, which sounds a lot like Genesis. There's constraint in the garden, and there's unfettered, uninterrupted union, which leads me to the last point. So work, constraint, community. I think community is one of the more underrated creations in Genesis 2. So he's creating community. He's initiating community. He's nourishing community. He's sustaining community. Uh, the Lord observes that it's not good for man to be alone uh, because it's not good for us to be alone. We need to be in community. And, and I just want to say something really quick about man and woman. Uh, we'll talk about some of this next week, but I do want to say this. Like when we read, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Um, I've heard some use suitable helper as an argument for patriarchy. So with the idea that the term suitable helper suggests subordination. But how many of you know that the word uh, helper in Hebrew, well, some of you may know that, like my wife, but not the rest of you. But the word Hebrew for helper is, the word helper in Hebrew is azer. In the Old Testament, the word azer is, is most often used for, how many of you want to guess? The word azer is used for who? Uh, well, it was used for woman in this case, but it's actually used for God. The word azer is used for God. So the word azer is most often actually used for God as Israel's helper. Like in, in Deuteronomy 33, 29, blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and, everyone say it with me, azer, helper, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. So, woman is not like an assistant. Woman is not subordinate. There is nothing in the text that would support that kind of reading. Uh, instead, we read Genesis 2 as, as Adam and Eve are co-equals. They're meant to rule and steward God's good creation together. And it's only after the curse that gender roles actually become destroyed through power over one another, which we'll talk about next week. All right, so community. Work, constraint, community. Notice that the community that's in the garden is meant to be co-equal stewards of God's good creation. And so what do we want to say about community? Uh, three things that I want to point out, and then we'll be, we'll be finished for the morning. Work, constraint, community. Um, three things about community. Number one, belonging in a community is crucial to flourishing. If community was part of the uncursed world, then we need to be in community. We need to be with people. We all understand that. Yes, we, we do. I mean, that's not, that's not rocket science. But here's what I want to tell you. Uh, the reason why we change the configuration of the room is we wanted to remind everyone in the room that re-evening the world is done together. 
Uh, we want to see one another as we worship together. Because here's the thing about community. You cannot work well and live in a constraint without one another. You can't do it. I mean, I know that work and constraint sound sort of like individual practices, but these are individual practices that are meant to be done in community. Constraint does not continue unless you're with other people. Work, the good ethic of work, we need to be reminded of it because how many of you wake up on Monday morning and are like, I really don't want to go. I really don't want to go. I really don't want to go. But in, in, in Christian community, uh, we can remind one another, wait, your work is actually important. Your work is important. Here's the other thing that I want to say. Uh, I talked about how the Lord creates community. I talked about how he created it in the beginning. Uh, and he did it at his initiative. Um, the thing that I want to say about community is that he still initiates community today. So I think that we think in terms of relationships in church, like we think about personal choice, don't we? I want to go to that church because it makes me feel a certain way or I like the music um, and I can tolerate the person speaking on stage or we like, I want to go to this church because it's a, got a good kids program. Or we even think about that way with our friends, don't we? When we think about friends, we don't think about spiritual friendship. We think about friendship because I like that person. That person likes me. There's chemistry. Uh, but... What I want to submit to you is that what if the Lord is initiating community? What if the person that you are becoming friends with is because the Lord wants you to be friends with that person? What if the Lord has an invitation for you this year to be friends with a, a certain kind of person or a, a type of or people that you may not be in community with? What if the Lord is leading you that way? And what if the Lord is actually leading you here? How many of you... Uh, would not be surprised if, like, when you had a conversation with the Lord after you passed into life after life, into the next life, that the Lord told you, I actually led you to the Evanston Vineyard. Like, you, you think that you chose it, but you didn't, because I initiated that. I called you there. Like, have you ever considered that? Here's the third thing that I want to say about community, and maybe the most important thing, this idea of helper, Azer. So God was the initiator of community in Genesis 2. And then after the curse and the fall, uh, which we'll talk about next week, we know that community and union and love, they all get threatened by sin. Well, how was all that restored? How was the possibility of community and union and love actually given back to us? What well, was done again at the initiation of God? So to restore us, Back into community in union and love with God, he sent us an azer. He sent us a helper. When sin rent apart union, God sent us an azer. When sin cracked the world, God sent us an azer. When sin became like a ferment bubbling its way through every one of us and becoming a sickness unto death, God sent an azer. And who is that azer, everyone? The azer is Jesus. Jesus mended the world through the cross and through the resurrection from the dead, fully defeated evil once and for all. He is our Azer. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is my helper. Everything that I've said today becomes possible and can be nourished and can be sustained only by our Azer. Jesus. And so the Apostle John, understanding this, he chose to begin his gospel within the beginning. How many of you know that the Apostle John begins his gospel within the beginning? But he doesn't say in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
No, he says in the beginning was the word. Our azer is God in action. Our azer restores us so that we can restore the world. So let's all stand, shall we? We stand. Let me pray, and then I'll, and then I'll close, and then send you off to get your children or to finish your Sunday. Jesus, thank you for being our helper. Thank you for being the one who uh, restored us back into community, and who is the possibility of Eden for every one of us. And so I just pray, Jesus, that you would. Help us to sense your presence as we leave, that you would refresh us and restore us, and that you would remind us on Monday that our work is important. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see you. We have prayer teams over here. If you'd like prayer for any and everything, uh, we'd love to see you. And don't forget the newcomers gathering. Go out and be the church. Yesterday, I'm waking up.